Well, we're continuing our, our fall sermon series in Paul's letter to the Colossians called Rooted. You can see it on the screen there. Uh, referring to the instructions that the apostle gave to the church in Colossae, uh, remain rooted and built up in Christ, don't divert. It was kind of a small church, but Paul wrote this letter to them and it has a, a big theme, an important theme, a, a challenge that has confronted Christians across all times, all cultures, uh, all around the world. And that is the temptation to hear the message of what God has done for us in Christ and to blend it with something else, to add something to it so that what we end up really believing in our hearts and minds, basing our life on, is some kind of spiritual hodgepodge of stuff. It's not rooted and built up in Christ alone, uh, but maybe even rooted and built up more in the, the philosophies of the world. So that's what Paul was writing about, been the, the theme throughout. We've been working our way straight through the letter, and today we're at the second half of chapter three. And again, we're, we're kind of taking a chunk of the letter at at a time which I pointed out last week is not the way it was to be heard, right? The, the apostle wrote a letter to a church that was to be read aloud all in one sitting, not just a little chunk at a time. So we've always got to keep in mind, like there's a flow that we might not be fully getting in this experience. So we got to think about what came before. Last week was about our new life in Christ, the kingdom kind of life that's possible after we place our trust in Jesus because God gives us a new nature, a, a new self, and the old self is gone and the new is here and we're all works in process, right? Uh, God is still working at us. This week is about applying that new life in Christ to our closest daily relationships. Now, I gotta give you a warning. It might feel like a, a little bit of a grinding of the gears compared to the soaring themes of last week. We're now diving into what's known as the household code. Um, so don't check out. Listen to what it says. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. Let me unpack it. I believe that we'll see not only the relevance in the context, but the usefulness, the, the utter usefulness for you and me in all of our daily living. So let's listen to the scripture. It's read by a team today, so come on up, team. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Do not take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you will crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ, the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. And masters, treat your servants considerately. Be fair to them. Don't forget for a minute that you too serve a master, God in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. We were reading from a paraphrase of the scripture there, uh, the message, but in the, uh, in the sermon here I'll be using uh, 
verses from the NIV will be projected on the screen. Uh, So again, uh, verses about applying the new life in Christ to our closest everyday relationships. I think the question being answered by this passage might be this. How might we live as the people we will be fully in the age to come in our closest relationships now? What might that look like? All right, we, we live in the overlap of the ages again, the current age and the age to come. And if you remember, the Jewish understanding was that those two kind of went like this, but we learned in Christ that they actually go like this. They overlap, and we're living in that overlapping time. So what, what does it look like to live more like the people we will be fully when this age has fully come in this overlapping time? Let's start by just looking at some observations about the passage. There are three pairs of relationships addressed. You caught that. Uh, These pairings are relationships meant to catalog our closest relationships. So life situations will be different for different people, you know, but this is is intended to speak to those closest daily interactions we have with other human beings. Wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. And in the ancient world, all these people lived together in the same home. It's not, it's not a house like you and I think of, kind of the nuclear family. They had more of a compound back, back then. They kept adding on rooms as, as more uh, kids got married and their families joined them. So it was kind of a big compound. The servants would live there too. This was called an oikia, the, the, the house. And the oikos was that whole big uh, kind of large extended family group that lived there. Now, from one perspective, what Paul wrote here was not new. There were household codes in the ancient world, uh, guidelines for how stuff should work in the home and in society. These were very common. Everyone was familiar with them. They represented the culture's understanding of how relationships should function. So we might be tempted to think, well, you know, this stuff might have applied back then, but, but come on, this is the 21st century. We've moved beyond any kind of talk of of one human being submitting to another, and we are on to the higher plane of individual rights and self-actualization, right? No need to look back at that stuff. That was culturally bound. That would be a mistake. Uh, Most of the household codes in the ancient world were based on what's known as the law of nature, which basically just kind of looked around at the world and said, hey, you need to do these things to live in harmony with the world. What Paul wrote here is based on the new nature. You know, the new nature we receive when we trust Jesus. Basically, this is saying, when you come to Jesus, you put on a new life like a new set of clothes. And here's what that might look like in daily living for you. Here's how you apply that in your closest relationships. Uh, Writes N.T. Wright, Christ releases you to be truly human And you must now learn to express your true self according to the divine pattern, not in self-assertion, but in self-giving. And that's the key. That's the umbrella over all of this. When when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, we follow Jesus in his example of self-giving love. And that's what these guidelines are all about, as we'll see in a moment. Now, Now, another thing to notice about them is that at least according to the culture to which Paul was writing, the person with less power is addressed first. Did you catch that? Wives and husbands, children and fathers, slaves and masters. 
and those with less power are informed of their responsibilities. You catch that? Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. In, in that way, these instructions are almost exactly like all of the other household codes of uh, the ancient world. Those with less power had responsibilities. Those with more power had rights. That's how stuff works in the world, right? With power comes privilege, and that reality is encoded into the social order of things. Everybody knows it. We should keep it that way. But that's not the way of Jesus at all, right? Jesus was the one with the most power who gave himself up for those with no power. Jesus was the one with the right to every privilege who laid them all aside and gave himself up for others. In that way, what Paul wrote here is completely different from anything the world had seen in these household codes. After addressing the less powerful in the relationship, he turns to the more powerful, the husbands, fathers, and masters, and says, hey, as a follower of Jesus, your social power needs to come under the lordship of Christ by assuming a Jesus-like humility and posture toward those around you, especially those closest to you. And the whole ancient world just got whiplash, right? Because nothing like this had ever been seen. In Christ, the apostle is saying, everyone has both rights and responsibilities. In Christ, all are called to exercise their power according to the self-giving example of Jesus. In Christ, we see every human being, especially those with whom we do life every day, as embodied image bearers of our great God and King. Everybody, no exceptions. These verses are about rights, responsibilities, and the proper use of power as a follower of Jesus in your relationships with other human beings, especially those people closest to you. Because you know you. Believe it or not, I know you because I know me. As you're interacting with people, you get annoyed, you get frustrated, and there's a knee-jerk reaction in you that wants to power up and squash. And what the apostle is saying here is, that's not the Jesus way. There's a, there's a different way. There's a better way. So let's, let's take a look at each of the pairings. Verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. While that word submit just jumps off the page, doesn't it? And you might be thinking, well, maybe, maybe the Greek, you know, the original language has some kind of different nuance, some, some layer of understanding that will kind of take the edge off. Nope. In the original language, the word is still submit, meaning to subordinate yourself to another, to place yourself under another. But let's focus for a second on what the word does not mean. It does not mean making yourself lesser. 
It does not mean assuming a position of inequality. It does not counteract what the same apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 3. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's the clothing thing. Old nature gone, new nature on. We're clothed in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. Submission does not mean inequality. Nor does it mean that the one who submits has a servile and menial role in the relationship. Paul is, Paul is not asking wives to be relational doormats, as is sometimes the way this is interpreted. Nothing could be further from the truth, biblically. Rather, this is one way to be Christ-like in marriage because submission involves the sacrificial giving of oneself in loyalty to another. It's exactly what Jesus did for us. Likewise, husbands have responsibilities toward their wives. This was a brand new idea, again, in the ancient world, because before the husband only had rights, not responsibilities. The command toward husbands is to love, and specifically to love by not being harsh. Literally, to not be embittered with your wife. To not let your heart grow bitter toward your wife. Here's a good summary I've found of these two verses, also by N.T. Wright. The wife must forego the temptation to rule her husband's life using perhaps one of the many varieties of domestic blackmail. The husband must ensure that his love for his wife, like Christ's for his people, always puts her interests first. In particular, he, he must scrupulously avoid the temptation to resent her being the person she is, to become bitter or angry when she turns out to be, like him, a real human being, and not merely the projection of his own hopes or fantasies. It is when husbands and wives understand these guidelines and live by them that they are truly free, free to mature and develop within the creative context of mutual love. What Paul is really getting at here is what does it mean to bring Jesus with you into your marriage? And really, none of these commands should be shocking to us, right? It means being Christ-like toward one another. Jesus submitted himself on our behalf. We're called to do that in marriage, one toward another. Jesus loved us with a kind of love that had our good in mind and was not holding against us all of our failures, not remembering our wrongs against us. We're called to love that way in marriage. Wives and husbands, children and parents. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Obedience is a kind of submission, an illustration of submission. So really the instruction to the less powerful here is kind of the same as to wives and husbands, right? Now, all the kids are with us in the service today because it's a communion Sunday. Your parents paid me to say this. You should obey them. <laughs> now, let me, let me unpack this a little bit so it doesn't just come across as like a you should. Uh, how can you, as a child or student who is also a follower of Jesus, express your desire to serve and follow Jesus in everyday life? One way is when your mom or dad asks you to do something, to just do it and, and not push back. I'm talking about appropriate requests. You know, this is within the bounds of healthy family relationships I'm talking about. 
I've got a story to this end about myself. I'm an only child. I was an obstinate only child. Maybe I still am, I don't know. Um, my job when I was young, after every meal, was to load the dishwasher. I absolutely hated that. Thought it was the worst injustice in the whole wide world. And it came to a, a head one evening, we had dinner and my mom said, Jonathan, please, please load the dishwasher. And I said, no, I won't do it. And she said, you will do it. I said, no, I'm not doing it. She said, Jonathan, you will sit at this table until you load the dishwasher. And kind of in a huff, she got up and, and left. My dad was always the quiet one. He's sitting down at the end of the table. So I'm sitting there like, just fuming, and he's just finishing his dinner. And he kind of looks up at me and he says, hey, hey, John, wouldn't it be a lot easier to just load the dishwasher? And it was like the clouds parted. <laughs> and a beam of light came down from heaven and landed upon my heart. And I thought, I had never considered that possibility. <laughs> wow, that's amazing, Dad. And no joke, after that night, when my mom said, hey, would you please load the dishwasher? I said, sure. Hopped up and did. It was, in fact, oh, so much easier. <laughs> like, no, no fighting. So kids, students, just telling, just telling you, it, it will go well for you. Uh, and these small things uh, are, are relationally appropriate and you gain trust and traction with your parents. So that set me on a trajectory where when I got to high school, I had no curfew because my parents trusted me. And the standing order was, uh, hey, be home at 11. If you're not going to be home by 11, just give us a shout to tell, tell us where you are, what you're doing. Great. I did it every time. So do you see how this works? It's just, it, it works better this way. It works better this way. And parents, do not embitter your children. Literally, the Greek word embitter means to stir up, provoke, or arouse. Don't worry, kids. I'm going to speak to your moms and dads too. This refers to that kind of constant nagging. In worst case, a constant belittling. And we all know about the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you keep saying negative things to a person, after a while, they start believing them. Don't do that with your kids. Don't do that. Just as husbands are called to realize their wives are real human beings just like they are, parents are called to realize that their kids are real human beings just like you. And you know how much encouragement you need. You know how much grace you need. Your kids need it, need it even more because growing up is super hard. Right? You, don't have, you don't have nearly as much life experience to bring to bear on the situation. It's just really hard. And if we're constantly on our kids, we're missing what it is that they really need, which is a ton of encouragement, a boatload of grace, because the whole thing's really hard, right? It is. Another good summary. The parent's duty is, in effect, to live out the gospel to the child. That is, to assure their children that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be, 
should have been, or might become. Obedience must never become the condition of parental love. A love so conditioned would not deserve the name. And quickly, the, the last one. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to rifle this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there's no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I remember distinctly a conversation with my best friend in high school after I became a Christian. He opened the Bible, pointed to this passage and says, this is why I can't be a Christian. The Bible justifies slavery. And back then I kind of went, uh. I hope now I'd have much more to say. The Bible does not justify slavery. There's a whole conversation to have about biblical interpretation, the redemptive movement, hermeneutic, what was the apostle, what was the culture of the day to which the Bible passage was written, what was the redemptive movement it suggested, and how can we trace that trajectory to our current day now and apply the biblical text to us. Really quickly, what that means, this, this last verse, masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair to the culture of the day. What? I don't owe my slave anything. It's revolutionary, right? Slaves didn't receive inheritances. Everybody knew that. This, this is the longest portion of this whole passage, possibly because slaves were at the bottom of the ladder, probably the least powerful of all addressed in this passage. And says, hey, remember that you'll receive an inheritance from Jesus. Culture of the day. What? Slaves don't get inheritances. But your first identity wasn't a slave, it was Christian. And in Christ, you've got a promised inheritance, right? So when you zoom back, I hope you're seeing this, right? There's so much that I left on the cutting room floor in this message that I I wish I had time to touch upon. But you can see when you take a step back, And look at this whole picture, this whole household code. It's basically saying to everybody involved, wives, husbands, children, parents, slaves, masters, your primary identity is in Christ. And there's no getting away from the truth that you're responsible for you, wherever you are in life. And it's your responsibility to take your relationship with Christ into every relationship you have with other human beings. Everybody bears that burden. And everything suggested in here is a very Christ-like expression of that. There, there was a book about 20 years ago, some of you will remember, by Joel Osteen called Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living at Your Full Potential. The, the title telegraphs the question being answered, which I take is this, how can I get what's best for me? How can I live my best life now? See, for for followers of Christ, that's the wrong question because it's not about you. The question is, how can I live my new life now? 
How can I live fully or more fully now, the person I will be fully in the future when either I die or Christ returns? How can I bring that into the now? Right? And here's the thing. Mutual submission is the rule of the road for living our new lives now. We, we get this straight from Ephesians. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, submission is out of vogue in our culture. We don't like this, right? We don't like it at all. But look at this. Indeed, so far from being an antiquated barrier to the development of human relationships, submission is part of mature human relationships. It is part of the divine order within the blessed trinity where Christ, who is equal with the Father, is forever subject to him. If the Son is simultaneously equal with the Father and submissive to the Father, then equality and submissiveness can coexist also in human relationships. Chew on that one. I I understand it's a bit like beef jerky, but chew on that for a while. Submitting to one another then is one way to follow Jesus in daily living. The true character of a person is laid bare in the ways they choose to use their power. May I say that again? The true character of a person is laid bare in the ways they choose to use their power. Therefore, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Let's read the guiding verse for this series together to close. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would work it out in us. May your word work all the way through us to guide us, direct us, change us, draw us closer to you, refine us, make us more fully the people we will be when your kingdom has fully come. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.